You're listening to BDO Spotlight on SPACs, a podcast series for regular insights into one of the hottest trends in the capital market space. Joined by an exciting guest list, tune in to hear our hosts from BDO SPAC practice share their experiences and a wealth of knowledge around the rapidly evolving world of special purpose acquisition companies. Hi, my name is Mike Stevenson, and I serve as the National Practice Leader for BDO's Accounting Reporting and Advisory Services Practice and as the National SPAC Practice Co-Leader. I want to welcome our guest for today's episode, BDO's National Managing Partner of the Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting, Amy Rojic. Welcome, Amy. Sure, thanks, Mike. On today's episode, Amy and I will discuss the board considerations for ensuring a successful merger with a SPAC and beyond. Maybe you might be able to expand a little bit on what you or others in the in the in the board uh, community uh, might see as kind of the board's role in in making sure that a merger is successful. To the point of of having strong corporate governance, I think the the expeditious process of a SPAC transaction going from the SPAC to the DSPAC is significant. And you know, if you think about a normal route to IPO, you have a, a pretty lengthy period of time to get a, to be board ready, if you will, to become a public company. Um, in this scenario, you really need kind of a, a two-step process, right? So to your point about, you know, what's the board's role in a successful merger? I think even before they get to the merger, if you think about how the, the SPAC transaction works, you really need to ensure you have folks on the board that have experience in selecting acquisition targets. Right. So that that's the biggest first step of the SPAC company is to know that they they now have this funding to move forward and select the target. So I I think that's number one. And then I think with respect to any merger transaction, boards need to really ensure that management has a multifunctional operational plan that's going to assimilate any information. Hopefully you've gathered some good due diligence. Um, into a sound integration plan that incorporates people, processes, and systems. I think that that's that's going to be paramount for the company moving forward. Um, from a strategic lens, post-acquisition management establishing a clear-cut strategy once the, the the target's in place as to how that is getting reviewed and approved and supported by the board. And then from a corporate governance lens, the transition from a private entity governance environment to a public entity environment. Comp- contemplates a few things, right? So I think among the various committee structure, you're now having to you know, form more solidly and to abide by listing standard rules from an independence perspective, from, from other things you, you're gonna need to consider. Um, and then really making sure that the, the role between management and the board is, is separate. And then from, um, you know, even further along, you also need to understand that you know, the SEC requirements, public filings, what's expected, the timetables, because those are quite significant um, in terms of, you know, being able to prepare on a quarterly basis from an earnings disclosure to an actual filing of a quarterly financial report and how that works and making sure that, you know, the company's operating management understands their responsibility in that process as well in terms of certifications and other things from the CFO and the CEO. And then I think from, you know, looking at specific company risk, having members of the board that really understand the enterprise risk management structure of the new entity and where they should be focusing kind of time and attention 
And then I think you get into some of the more um, desirable or you know other areas that make a company function. And I think you know human capital is certainly a significant aspect. If you think about any merger between two entities, you have a true hurdle to overcome many times is, is integrating the people into the new company. What does that culture look like? What's that tone at the top going to look like? How, how do you bring a bunch of folks together in order to you know, create a new company? So focusing on clear messaging, policies and procedures, all of that has to kind of fall into place. And I, I can't underemphasize the, the clear lines of communications and responsibility division between management and the board. I think, you know, just noting for newly formed entities, the input from the board may vary significantly depending on the relative expertise and experience levels of management as compared to those of the board. If you think about some of the you know, some of the more successful SPACs that we've seen, you know, they've, they've relied on a lot of bench strength, if you will, in the board. They've had a lot of experience, whether it's some of the private equity folks that have become sponsors and, and then the board members where they've done this several times. It, this isn't their kind of first rodeo and they have that kind of experience as has it, how it shakes out. But then also considering the, the other side of that, which is truly having public company an independent view of, of the company to help advise them further. So I think I'll, you know, I'll pause there and see if, if you have any thoughts, Mike, yourself. Yeah, uh, one, one of the comments I think you made was uh, that, you know, the bringing together of human capital when you've got, when you, when you've got these two targets together, typically we, you know, from a SPAC, they're, they're really no employees and we don't really have that issue when trying to integrate those two. But I think what we have seen a little bit more of an emerging trend right. as we see some of the SPAC transactions is we're actually seeing multiple targets coming into that SPAC transaction at one time. And obviously one of those targets is coming is a target of the private company, but we are seeing those combinations take place. And so I think your comment there on the, the human capital aspects of it is, is extremely, is extremely uh, on point. Uh, just because it is a little bit different of a trend that we're seeing where we've got these multiple companies coming together through this DSPAC transaction. So I think that's that's there. Um, and then so maybe just expanding on some of the board considerations a bit that you might be able to speak to. Um, as I think everybody has been reading and understands from the news that the, the makeup of your board, uh, diversity initiatives, listing requirements, a lot of those things are, are changing and evolving. And so what are what are some of those considerations that you need to think about as a board of a newly public company? Yeah, I, th I think that's <laughs> that's a great point. I, I think early on, um, you know, all companies and would be investors were, were heated pretty strongly, um, particularly from the SEC about avoiding the fascination of kind of the star power board members, I'll call them in terms of, you know, thinking that that's going to somehow bolster, you know, the stock price and be, you know, carry you forward with with that type of, of, of star power on your board. I, I think really what you, you kind of step back from that and say, of the folks that are going to be really handing down or overseeing the governance structure of the company, first, do they have the capacity to do this? I mean, I made reference earlier that, you know, a lot of the very, um, I, I'll say good and strong folks that, that are you know, whether they're coming from the private equity or the sponsor side that are being, you know, seated on the board, at least initially, you know, do they have the capacity to do that? I mean, they're, they're, the initial responsibility is to truly find that target. But once that's kind of accomplished, you know, does, does that individual 
who's sitting on the board really have the capacity to serve as a public company director because you know when you when you think about the initial formation of the company you know you're 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 kind of sleeves up and and hitting the ground running because you you do have a relatively short window of time to find that target but then if you think about going forward you know directors spend upwards of you know 350 hours a year and especially during covid a lot probably a lot more than that in in just doing their corporate oversight responsibilities and that's regular cadence of meetings you know if you're on the audit committee that's you know a very regular cadence with you know ad hoc meetings and other things as situations arise informal meetings with auditors and other folks with within the company um, so i think you just really need to focus on that and then i think again for you know the public companies particularly the newly formed they really benefit from having board members and management that have public company compliance experience. So there's, there's really no grace period allowed for these folks. They're, they're hitting the ground running with reporting requirements and, and listing requirements from the exchanges and they need to be knowledgeable about that. And then perhaps picking up on the prior question, I think that the true function of a board is one of oversight and newly formed boards or those with members who may be new to public board service may need those reminders or even education on the important distinction between oversight and operational and financial management. I think, you know, when we see some of the, the newer folks that have not yet really sat on a public board, oftentimes, you know, that there's a tension there between management and the board because there's a lot of, um, I guess, inclination to really dive in deep to the operational and daily efforts of management as opposed to kind of sitting back and, and allowing them to proceed along strategy and advising them in that capacity. So I think that's a, that's a I'll call it a rookie mistake of, of a lot of new board members. Um, you know, but to the extent that you do have a newly formed company, sometimes that that more in-depth or you know operational focus is warranted so I, so I don't want to I don't want to totally discount that um, I think in the audit world you know we often point to objectivity independence and the same holds true for the board really enabled to be you know be able to oversee financial management and step back if you if you think about how some of these boards are formed a lot of them are coming from the same you know target circles of of, of players if you will so your, your, your same networks of folks that you're engaging in are often, you know, where you're turning to pull your board members from. So, you know, you're going to get a lot of like-minded thinking in that regard, which can be good and it can be bad. And I think, Mike, to your point about diversity and the focus on that, that's a critical element that all corporate boardrooms are focused on, and rightly so. Um, I think for, for some of these companies, you know, the, the initial steps that they need to take may not necessarily be focused on human capital aspects of diversity and inclusion, but I think if you're looking to establish yourself as a solid company moving forward, those certainly need to be kept in mind. And, you know, I think we see, and just judging by recent NASDAQ requirements uh, around diversity and the emphasis they've made on helping smaller companies identify you know, more diverse candidates for their board slates. I think it's sometimes can be very challenging for a smaller company to attract that diversity that they might need. And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, gender and um, underrepresented populations. I'm really talking about kind of the, the diversity and thought that, that's needed in, in how our business transacts today. 
So I, I wanted to highlight that. And, and then, of course, you need the broad-based industry and transaction experience. So business acumen that reflects the newly formed entity strategy and business objectives, as well as that, that public company experience, because, you know, I, I think you're at a disadvantage if you have a board that may not appreciate the rigorous compliance expectations of the regulators and listing exchanges, you know, in addition to obviously the expectations of a broader base of shareholders. Um, one of the things that I just I want to highlight here is the board composition for any company is extremely important. So I think one of the things that boards need to think about is really the, the honest assessment of the functioning of the board. Right. So I, I think uh, one of the things I would maybe it's an obvious point, but specifically for SPAC transactions, it's probably critical for directors to not, you know, perhaps not get too comfortable in their role as it may be potentially short lived, depending on the ultimate de-SPAC transaction. So we've, we've seen a lot of companies that carry forward some of the the private, the private folks, um, but then need to adjust and pivot and add more qualified board members with with greater experience or more depth in terms of being a public company. So I, I think that's that's not going to change. And I think we'll we'll continue to have kind of that critical eye, um, particularly in the market as as things move forward in, in looking very closely at how these SPAC companies and the DSPAC, ultimate DSPAC companies are run. I heard a lot of a must haves that you were you, you were kind of highlighting for board members to, to think about. And I and I you know, jotting down some notes, I hear the industry expertise, general expertise of a board member, the capacity to serve as a board member, and then, you know, some diversity considerations, not only of, of just race and other of other factors, but also just kind of diversity of thought. That's what I kind of heard as a must. If you look out a little bit, are, are there emerging skill sets that that organizations need to be thinking about adding to their boards now? And, you know, I just a couple topics. I wonder if you might be able to color some of some within some of those lines. Sure. And again, I, I think you know you, you have to look at the stage that the company is at. But I think one of the biggest things that I, I would think that would be absolutely critical to a board is having those steeped in enterprise risk management. You know, particular issues that the the company is going to be faced with, whether it's risk or opportunity. Um, you know. The, I guess this, this this assumes that the company has the wherewithal to properly identify and prioritize the risks and opportunities that are presented. And then I think from, you know, from a trait standpoint, you know, the the, the person that's most valuable on the board is one that's inquisitive and really education driven. Board members need to do a significant amount of external preparation for board service, but particularly for newer companies where management's really focused on the critical operations versus on being the only source of information for the board. So I, I think, you know, where you have a SPAC transaction that happens fairly quickly, the nice thing, I, I guess one of the pros to that is that, you know, the lengthy road shows that take the, the operating folks and management you know, that take them kind of away from that daily operational thing that that's not existing. So that allows the operational folks to be operational. Um, but, you know, I think it's also really important for the board to be able to challenge management in those decision making and, and having that as kind of the, the, the benchmark or the litmus test for a board is really important. And then I think some of the other areas that, you know, you touched on, Mike, one is IT. Uh, really understanding that, you know, given the the critical 
overall systems environment of an integrated company to be fully operational. You really have to have some folks on the board that understand how that environment impacts the business and whether or not the company has the right structure in place to prevent you know, cyber breaches, to prevent system failures. A lot of where you think about from a financial perspective is the control environment of an organization and how heavily that relies on technology in some cases to produce that information. So I think having that, um, you know, having the right mix of operating experience within the board, you know, I, I think too often we see very heavy on CEO experience, but may lack more recent operational experience or financial experience or even you know, in this day and age, human capital. So, so um, certain uh, chief people officer type of qualifications that a lot of boards are finding, you know, very desirable as, as they build out their composition. And finally, you need, I think, you know, the collegial members, but ones that will, will challenge one another. Again, kind of getting away from the, you know, everyone's friends around the table and that way, you know, you're not going to be challenging of each other's thoughts, but really building that expectation in the boardroom that your role is there to truly oversee strategy of the company. And when you have misgivings about a certain direction, you need to feel comfortable that you can voice those and discuss it amongst your colleagues on the board and get to the right answer. So I think those are those those are some of the broader ones. You mentioned ESG and sustainability. I think for newly formed companies, you know, somewhat, I guess I could say somewhat they might get a little bit of a pass, at least initially. But I think the better formed companies, the ones that are forward thinking about all things sustainable, and we're, we're really talking about the longevity of the business here. I'm not just picking on, you know, elements of the E, the S, and the G. Um, but, but having that built out as part of your strategy from the start, I think will really mm -hmm. enable companies to have a leg up on some of the, their competitors. So having that level of expertise would be nice to have on the board. Got it. No, I think that's that, that uh, that's obviously a lot of information, Amy. I, I think it's extremely valuable. I, I think as accountants, we sometimes just get lost in the numbers and the regulatory compliance and, and things of that nature and, and 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 lose sight of what we need to do from a governance perspective and, and actually how active and, and responsible those boards need to be as part of these uh, the transactions going forward. So I think all that's really helpful. Amy, this was great. I want to thank you for joining today and especially for sharing some of your insights. I also want to thank all of the participants for joining today as well. If you have any questions about what we covered today in this episode, please reach out to either myself or Amy and see how BDO can assist. Thank you. Thank you for listening to BDO Spotlight on SPACs. Past episodes and more information about BDO SPAC practice are available at BDO.com slash spotlight on SPACs. We're also on iTunes and Spotify. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. 